So we've been in this conversation. We've been in this conversation about what is good. Uh, and it comes from the, uh, the book of the prophet Micah. Micah was, was responding to the question, what is it that God wants? Does God want a bunch of sacrifices? Does God want a certain set of rituals performed? What is it that will make God happy? And the answer from the prophet is, no, God doesn't want any of that. What God wants, what God has told us is good, is to do justice, to love mercy or to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. So that's the conversation we've been in. And last week we looked at justice. And what we saw last week is justice is not all that lovable. The prophet tells us to do justice. He doesn't tell us to love justice. And the reason is because justice is hard. There are all kinds of things that make justice hard. But what we learned last week is there's a, there's a simple rule that makes justice easier. It's easier to, to do justice when we use the rule of impartiality, the idea that, that we, we apply justice equally uh, to people who are powerful and to people who are weak, people who are rich and people who are poor. That if we're not willing to, to, uh, to execute justice on the king, then we shouldn't, we shouldn't expect people who are not the king to, to be any better. So the idea of impartiality. So we looked at that and that does make justice easier. And that's why traditionally in ancient art, uh, justice was depicted as a goddess who had the sword and the scales. But she also had the blindfold, meaning she was impartial. She didn't care who came before her. So that's what we looked at last week. And that's a good thing. Justice is good. No one, no one disputes that justice is a good thing. And impartial justice is a good thing too. But it's hard to get excited about it. It's hard to love justice. Justice is, 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 is a good thing. We, we can kind of have a nice, cool appraisal of justice and say, justice is good. Okay, fine. Justice is satisfying. Uh, which beats unsatisfying. Uh, if, if justice is unsatisfying or injustice is insatisfying, unsatisfying, then people will go try to seek their own. They'll, they'll try to get vengeance and, and revenge for their, whatever, whatever things have happened to them uh, because they don't feel satisfied by justice. So it's a good thing that justice is satisfying. Um, and it's a good thing really that it's cold. We don't want hot tempered justice. We don't want justice in the heat of the moment. We want, uh, some, some cool perspective to be applied when there's a sword in justice's hand, we want it, we want it to be a kind of a cool appraising justice, but it's not warm. It, it, it's not lovable. It's not cuddly. There's nothing cuddly about justice. And part of the problem is justice has limits. There's only so much you can do with justice. Justice assumes that there is someone who can be brought to justice. If they fail to live up to the demands of justice, then they can be brought to justice. And so, you know, if somebody robs a bank or commits murder, you can bring them to justice. But there's all kinds of problems that you can't, you can't deal with that way. If, if there's hundreds of millions of people in the world who are suffering from malaria right now. And during the course of this sentence, somebody else is going to contract malaria. Okay. What, who, who, who is brought to justice when that person contracts malaria? Who, who, who do you bring justice, bring to justice because of malaria? There's, there's no one you can point to and say, it's their fault. They need to quit doing that and then there won't be any malaria. There's no one you can point to in the case of malaria to bring to justice. Or, or, uh, illiteracy. You know, the, the classic example, uh, Johnny can't read. He's, he's a 12th grader. He's graduating this spring and he can't read. Who do you bring to justice? Do you bring his teacher? He's a 12th grade 
He's a 12th grade student. He can't read. Do you bring his, his teacher? Which one? Do you bring the 12th grade teacher? Do you bring the 11th grade teacher? Do you bring the 9th grade or the 7th grade or the 3rd grade? Who do you bring to justice if Johnny can't read? Do you bring his parents? Well, what if Johnny's uh, 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 parents are divorced? Do you bring the custodial parent or the non-custodial parent? Do you bring Johnny's friends who are always telling him, let's cut school and, and go do something more fun? Who do you bring to justice if Johnny can't read? There's, there's whole categories of, of problems that justice is incapable of addressing. If there's a foster child who is never adopted, who do you bring to justice for that? Or if somebody is living their life in poverty, she's got, she's got a, a, a house that is broken down, her kids can't eat, and the baby doesn't have diapers, who do you bring to justice for that woman? There's whole categories of problems that justice can't address. But the prophet tells us we have more than one tool in our arsenal. We have, we have the, the, the tool of justice for sure. And so he tells us we are to do justice, but he says beyond that, in addition to justice, we are to love kindness. And kindness is one of the other tools we have to address these other problems. And the good thing about kindness is while justice is cool or even cold, kindness is warm. Kindness is cuddly. Kindness gives us a lump in our throat, brings tears to our eyes. Let me give you an example of what kindness is like. Could you show the video? So that's kindness. It's not just. Justice would have been to throw the the ball into your own teammate. But kindness is doing what you can do. Justice is doing what you must do. But kindness is what you get to do. And so the scriptures tell us to love kindness because kindness is lovable. I, I was going to say earlier, uh, kindness, mercy. One of the problems we have with, with uh, this scripture and a lot of scriptures in the Bible is that we don't really have the right word. The word in the scriptures is sometimes, depending on your translation, sometimes it's translated kindness, sometimes it's translated mercy. And the reason is both of those words are not quite adequate. The word the word mercy sometimes has a has a has a connotation of condescension. You know, I'm I'm throwing you a bone, um, and so so mercy doesn't quite work. But kindness doesn't work either. We've all we've all been treated politely, but unkindly. You know, you you go to the counter. Somebody behind the counter has the capability to help you, um, but they don't. They tell you very politely, and they use sir, and they say, you know, uh, uh, our policies don't permit that. And so you need something desperately, and they say, I can't help you very politely. So kindness isn't really the right word either. So somewhere in that, in that span between kindness and, and mercy is what the scriptures are getting at. And what it tells us, what the scriptures tell us, is that we must do justice. But we can do kindness, and kindness warms us up. We get a lump in our throat watching the video. We see, we see that and we say, why don't we see more of that? Why don't we see more kindness in the world? It's not because it's hard. I mean, it's very easy to know what to do. There's there's this rule that, like with the rule of impartiality for justice, there's a rule for kindness. It's called the golden rule. Jesus affirms it here in this scripture. He says, he says, um, uh, do, if I can find it, he says, do to others as you would have them do to you. It's not a hard, it's not a hard thing. Most people have sufficient empathy. They can put themselves in the other person's position. They could say, 
last game of the season, the kids never scored, I should throw him the ball instead of my teammate. Why not? So, so we can put ourselves in, in the position of the other person and say, okay, that's easy enough to do. And yet we don't do it. Why don't we see more kindness in the world? Well, the reason is because there's nothing in it for us. See, when we, when, when, when we do justice, we all benefit. When, when we have a society that is founded on impartial administration of justice, we know we don't live in an anarchy. We don't live in, in Mogadishu, in Black Hawk Down, you know, where there's warlords and, and, and who, who get everything and then uh, beggars who have to, who have to fight over the scraps. We don't live in a society like that because we have justice. I benefit when you receive justice. But when you receive kindness, I may not get it back. You may, I may treat you the way I would like to be treated in your place, but there's no guarantee that you will ever do that. I may never be in a position to contract malaria. So why should I help people who've got malaria now? And that's the question Jesus addresses in the next paragraph of our reading. He says, he says to people who are thinking, yeah, but, but, why should I be kind if I'm not going, if no one's going to be kind to me in return? He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? He says, this is not about making an investment. He says, even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend from those to whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. Uh, you know, you, you've heard of distressed properties, right? Where, where the house is so beat up that you can get it for a couple of bucks. Or, or d- distressed securities. The company is so close to bankruptcy, you can buy, you can buy their stock for pennies. Um, and, and the hope is, you know, they may go down the tubes, but it's so cheap that it's worth taking a risk. Jesus says, that's not kindness. That's investing in a distressed market. He says, that's not what this is about. Kindness is not investing. He says, do good to your enemies. He says, love your enemies. Do good to them and lend expecting nothing in return. Do that. Why? Because they can pay you back. He says, don't expect it. But then before we can even start to think, well, well, how will I get my payback? He says, your reward will be great. So what's Jesus getting at? He says, don't do this and do this without expecting any reward. Then he says, your reward will be great. What's he getting at there? It's, it's easy to think that what Jesus is talking about is that, is that somebody else will pick up the tab. That he's saying that if you lend to a poor person, God will treat that as having been done to him. And in fact, in Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew records a, a, a speech where Jesus says the same thing. And what's interesting to me is that Matthew, remember, is a tax collector. So it's not a surprise that Matthew would look at it through a lens of being paid back. He would hear this thing Jesus said and said, oh, I've got to write that down. But Luke is a doctor. Luke is a healer. And so when he hears Jesus give this sermon in this, uh, on the plane, what jumps out at him is what Jesus says next. Jesus says, it's not about bookkeeping. It's not about somebody's going to pay you back. God's going to pay you back. He says, he says, you will be children of the Most High. The Most High is God. He says, you will be children. In Jesus' culture, a child, to say somebody was a child of somebody else meant that they were like that person, that they had a family resemblance. He's a lot like his dad. We might say today, he's a chip off the old block, or we might say, that uh, 
the nut really didn't fall far from the tree or something like that. We say that there's a, that there's an obvious similarity between these two. And Jesus says, when we are merciful, that we are like God. We are like our Father. And He says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And remember, Jesus is not just kind of talking philosophically here. In a few pages, he's going to set his face to Jerusalem. And he's going to leave Galilee. He's going to go through Judea. He's going to come to Jerusalem. And there he's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be nailed to a tree. And the people who are doing it are wicked and ungrateful. He's going to die for people who have no use for him and who mock him as as he suffers. Jesus knows what he's talking about when he says, be merciful, for your Father is merciful. And so he says, he says, do this just because. He says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Is, and, and again, we can, we can read that as that kind of bookkeeping thing that, that if I forgive, then I get a credit somewhere in heaven that, that God will see and ignore the things I've done wrong, that God will, will ignore my transgressions if I've been good at forgiving. Now, Payton here, he may not be very good at forgiving, so God probably won't forgive him. That's the way we might be tempted to read this. But that's not the way Jesus means it. Jesus says something else. He says, we are changed into the likeness of God through the act of kindness. He says, that's why we're kind. And then he concludes with a marketplace illustration that, that we don't go to the same kind of store as Jesus did. Today we get packaged food. It comes and it's weighed out and it tells you how many calories and all the rest of it. Right? That's not the way the market worked in Jesus' era. So let me give you a demonstration that I think shows what Jesus is getting at here. A picture is worth a thousand words. Last week my sermon was 30 minutes. So this should speed me up, right? Okay. So... Jesus says, he says, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. So he says, this is God. God is the source of all kinds of blessings. And I don't know what Jesus had in mind, grain or spices or something like that, something you would get in an ancient marketplace. And he says, so you go to the vendor and they've got a barrel and they scoop it out, and God's not going to cheat you. God gets a great big measure. It's it's uh, pressed down, shaken together, and He says, He says, God will pour that out. That's what God does. And He says, if you have a big heart, you receive more than if you've got a small heart. God is equally generous to everyone. But Jesus says, it's the size of your measure that makes the difference. And the way you get a bigger measure is by being godlike. Which one of these cups looks the most like the God cup? The small one or the big one? The one that's bigger. The family resemblance is to the Father who is generous. So Jesus says to be generous. So, what is our application? Well, Jesus gives us the application. He says, do good. 
He says, be merciful as our Father is merciful. So, what does that look like? Justice, we know what justice looks like. We know justice is administered impartially, but kindness, we know what we want. Justice, we do because we must. Kindness, we do because we can. We get to do kindness. So, when you go home, if you live with somebody else, be kind. Praise them more than cold justice would require. Uh, spend more time with them than justice would require. Be kind. Be generous. Lend without expecting anything in return. And when you leave your house and you go outside, do the same thing and be generous with your money as well. Jesus says, give without expectation of receiving anything in return. I have a quote I want to read with, read to you. Um, it's, uh, it's from Clement Attlee. Uh, if you don't know who Clement Attlee was, he was the wartime prime minister, or well, I don't know his title. He was part of the coalition government in World War II. Uh, Winston Churchill um, was, the, was the prime minister, and he pretty much conducted the war. Clement Attlee managed domestic policy in Great Britain, and a lot of the British social safety system, social safety net in Britain, dates to Clement Attlee. He helped put together the National Health Service and uh, the welfare system and a lot of other programs that still exist in Great Britain today. Clement Attlee was that person. And here's why he did it. He said this. He said, charity is a cold, gray, loveless thing. He says, if a rich man wants to help the poor, he should pay his taxes gladly, not dole out money at a whim. I don't know how that lands on you. But when I hear that, I just think to myself, what must his experience of charity have been like that he could say charity is a cold, gray, loveless thing? My guess is that too much of what he saw as charity was really distressed investing. It was somebody saying, you've got a drinking problem, I'll help you with your drinking problem, but I expect this in return. Or you've got a problem with uh, poverty, you know, you're dealing with this set of circumstances, whatever it was, that, that he saw too many people who were not kind, who were not merciful, who would throw in the basketball, but only in return for something else. What a low bar that is. Have you been... <laughs> Cody's going to take the youth here in a couple of weeks. Cody's going Cody's to take the youth of the church to uh, to serve at Brother Francis Shelter. And how anybody can compare Brother Francis Shelter to, to the welfare office in terms of cold or warmth is beyond me. But that's what Clement Attlee experienced. Charity that he saw was cold and gray and loveless. What a low bar. Can you imagine how the world might be different if Christians lived out what Jesus taught us? If we gave generously, expecting nothing in return. Imagine how big our hearts would become, how big our cups would be if we poured out generously on everyone without expecting anything in return. Imagine how people would be blessed by our generosity. Justice won't solve every problem. But we do justice anyway. We do justice because we must. But kindness and mercy... We do them because we can. And as we do, we come to be more like Jesus, more like God, and we are better able to receive his blessings. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the scriptures. We give you thanks for the, the rules we find in them, uh, like the golden rule and the rule of impartiality. But especially, Lord, we give thanks for these images that Jesus tells us that teach us what you are really like, that you are not a God who keeps books and returns favors, but you are a God who showers out blessing. And that not content simply to shower out blessing on us, that you tell us how we can receive more, how we can become like you. We pray, Lord, you would give us wisdom and guide us so that we can be generous. We can be kind. We can forgive. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.